It's another edition of Baseball and Beyond presented by Massa's Restaurants, and I'm excited to talk to one of my all-time favorites, and I say that, but this time I mean it, Skip Schumacher. Hi, Skip. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Where are you? You're in your car, I can see, it looks like. I am. I'm in uh, Southern California, Ladera Ranch. We're actually moving um, today, so we are in the midst of packing boxes and, and uh, same town, same area, but just getting out of the uh, the gated community, which I don't understand why I'm paying for a gate, so we're out of here. So you're going smaller or bigger? I'm going smaller. I'm retired. Come on. can't go bigger now. <laughs> yeah, but you put some money in the bank, right? No, yeah, everything's good. You know, what happened actually is we have a, um, uh, a sober living house right across the street, and I'm not real ecstatic about that. So we decided that uh, we're, uh, we're going to head on out. But to be honest with you, we, uh, we just wanted to be a little bit smaller house and, and outside of the, the gated community feel. Yeah, I remember it was funny that uh, I feel like I've watched your kids grow up. That's it's what's so crazy about this game is you would bring uh, the little guy over, and uh, I still see him kind of getting bigger as he's playing. How much fun is that to watch him play baseball? And how much fun was it for you just to have him around the uh, the clubhouse those days? Yeah, pretty special memories. My son now, Brody, is nine years old. My daughter's seven, uh, Presley. You know, it's funny, when I was coming up and they were younger, you know, they wanted me to stay home. They didn't want me to go play baseball and they couldn't understand why I was gone for two weeks or the home games. I was gone for 10 hours a day, but you know, now that I'm retired, they want me to play because now it's the cool thing. Um, you know, that dad was a, was a baseball player. It wasn't so cool. And I actually played though. So it's, it's kind of reverse, um, uh, in the household of what's going on, but it's, it's cool now to, to, see him play and um i have way more anxiety watching him play than when i played and um you know having fun watching my daughter play soccer so just memories that i'll never forget bringing him around the clubhouse and and playing with albert pujols and all these hall of famers it's pretty surreal looks like you're still working out uh the view that i have is of a, a pipe of yours and uh looks like you still could play a little bit <laughs> uh yeah that was strategic on my part just putting you on <laughs> part of my body with my forearms you know i um i try to keep in shape but nothing like um you know when i was playing back in the day you know the training on the toll it takes on your body you know you're really doing two days you're you know you're lifting hard in the morning you're taking a break and then you go on the field and and try to um you know get the timing down of, of hitting or fielding or whatever it is so but i i, I enjoy staying in shape um, my wife enjoys it so it's kind of something that we do together and um, so I'm going to try to keep that up as long as I can. Uh, I remember back in the day, I used to talk to you a lot, and uh, you'd get mad at me because I'd walk up to your locker and you'd be like, are you staring at my wife? And I'd say, yes. <laughs> How is Lindsay? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, she's, uh, she's good. You know, when I retired, the first thing she said was, uh, remember, I'm not your hobby, so find something to do, which is kind of funny. Um, so I think that's been the, the transition of, you know, that's all we've known. I, I grew up um, playing baseball. I met her when I was 18 years old. So this has been our, our entire life. Uh, it's been on the road and switching houses and different cities and, um, you know, not seeing each other year round. And so the adjustment has definitely been me being around more, uh, which has been a good thing. But she's also reminded me consistently that I need to find something else to do besides um, you know, hanging out with her the entire day. 
Yeah, and I don't know if people really care about this kind of stuff, but I, I find it really crazy um, because your group is kind of the group that I was around the most, like the Jason Isringhausens, the Scott Rollins, Randy Flores, kind of that, that mid-2000s group. And it seems like once you guys do retire, you get that you know six months in and you like it, but then you're like, man, uh, I sort of need to be out of the house for two weeks at a time. And I know Izzy just said, give me a job, any job. I'll go work at Fox. Come on. I'll Jim Edmonds, same thing. I mean, was that how you found out retirement was – um, hey, wow, I kind of missed that sort of schedule where I didn't have to take out the trash every uh, Thursday night or uh, do the, the, the dishes around here. Yeah, your your life is so structured uh, when you're playing the game. There's always somewhere to be, something to do uh, at a certain time, whether it's an interview, uh, a meeting, batting practice, whatever it is. You had a set schedule from February when spring training started through the postseason. So pretty much after you know mid November when the parade was over. So um, I had a schedule like that for 15 years. And when it's done, it's literally goes to nothing and you can do whatever you want with people think, Oh, it's, you know, retirement at 35 is amazing. Yeah. But you're still young. You're still competitive. You're still active and you're still trying to find some now other purpose uh, in life that you want to do. Cause you put all your eggs in this basket, you made it, you did it. And it, it was a blessing and amazing experience but then now what? You have the rest of your life to live. And so um, you want to stay in the game somehow. Um, a lot of us don't want to be uh, on the coaching side, um, in the minor league side, where you're grinding it out in different cities and um, being away from your family. So you're trying to find that, that balance of staying, you know, being more part of the family and then also being, uh, you know, in the workforce somehow. Uh, for me, it was still baseball, and luckily the Padres uh, gave me that opportunity. Yeah, I have I have one word for you. Uh, wah. Retired at 35. I can't find things to do. Wah. <laughs> yeah, no, you sound like my dad, so I get it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get kind of specific on some stuff back in your career, but I just, I think you were here such during such the great time. You were on two world championship teams, or part of them, and um, kind of the glory era, it feels like. Tell me what you think of when you think back on your time i mean is there i know it's not give me your favorite memory or any of that stuff i don't need that but just like when you think back what are the things that you now that you've kind of divorced yourself from the cardinals and you're kind of away from it like what what are the memories and the biggest things that come to mind when people you know when you when you're just thinking about the baseball in st louis well luckily i was just lucky to be drafted by the st louis cardinals i had no idea what i was getting myself into i was just happy to be drafted um Little did I know what kind of uh, city St. Louis was going to be and, and what they did for me and, and for my family. So to start things off, I had a pre-draft workout in St. Louis. Never been in St. Louis in my life in 2001, about a month before the draft. And there was a game that night that our, our workout was in the morning. And after our workout, we walked back to our hotel. And that, this is when the fans are starting to pile in for batting practice for that for the game that night and I was I couldn't believe the amount of red I never I mean I grew up in LA um kind of fair weather fans of you know the angels and the ducks and if we win there's a lot of people that go to the game if they they're not winning they don't go to the game so I'm not really used to game day uh like there is in St. Louis and it was I could not believe what I was watching little did I know that I was going to be drafted a month later uh by this cardinal nation and the sea of red. And so I started learning more about it and actually researching it. Um, 
and I was just so astonished by the fan base and uh, what all the fans knew about the minor leagues and everything. So going into it, I was just in awe. Um, then spring training and then, you know, my first big league spring training, I remember being Jim Edmonds actually put me between, um, uh, actually not between, but in the middle of Larry Walker himself and Reggie Sanders. And I was 23 years old and I didn't know what to do. I was so scared. I remember I showed up super early, no, you know, trying to be the first one there. And Reggie Sanders already beat me. And um, this was at like 6.15. And so he made me go get him coffee. I got him coffee. He poured it out, told me not enough sugar. This went back and forth for a while. But what I learned was, is, you know, when they do that, I was really, you know, scared. I didn't know if they liked me. But when they, these veterans do that to you, that means they like you and they want you to learn from them. And luckily I had Reggie Sanders and Edmonds and Isringhausen and Carpenter. And I can go on and on. But what I take away most is learning about not just the game, but these life lessons that all these incredible human beings taught me along the way. And I grew up as a man in St. Louis and the family and um, through the community and them helping out, uh, the community helping out with baby Risa, which, um, you know, one of my buddy's friends that had this terminal disease. And I just I don't think any other community could have rallied around. Um, a player or a player's friend for that matter, like St. Louis did. So I'm forever grateful. And um, leading up to uh, the end of my career, it was just a, it was a pretty incredible run. Yeah. I think you're an all time favorite there. And uh, I think obviously the first thing is because your name is Skip and you're scrappy, but then uh, things worked out for you where you hit 300 in 08 and 09, but I'll get into that in a second. Just the thought of, uh, Oh five, you come up, you, you make your debut. It's Cardinals Red Sox is your first game. Uh, I guess give me a little bit about that. I mean, it's, they're playing the world. It's a World Series rematch at Bush, fifty thousand strong. And what was that like? Kind of getting your first your first bit of Major League Baseball with uh, a World Series rematch game. It actually wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be because I, I walked into it a pretty awkward situation. Roger Cedeno actually was put on the disabled list, and he he didn't know it. And didn't want to be on it. And I just walked into the clubhouse and they didn't tell him yet. So it was a pretty interesting situation when I when I got called up. I was filled with excitement. I couldn't wait to get there. And then it was a little bit of a uh, an SH storm <laughs> when I walked. So um, so that was my first experience of like, uh, you know, a veteran player and a manager and a general manager kind of getting into it. And I had no idea. I was just on cloud nine. I couldn't wait to, I was just trying to figure out how many tickets I could leave that night. So my first at bat, um, it was David Wells was pitching um, Red Sox. They just won the World Series. It was a packed house, Old Bush Stadium, which I think was way louder uh, than the new Bush. I mean, it was just an incredible experience. Um, you know, I was getting ready to pinch hit maybe in the ninth inning uh, against maybe a Keith Folk type pitcher. And Tony puts me in against David Wells. You know, I'm a left-handed hitter. David Wells is dominating. I didn't think I had any chance of getting into the game. Um, you know, I had all these thoughts about, you know, hitting a home run. My first major league at bat, um, I saw three pitches, struck out. Didn't ex- go exactly how I planned it all these years. But um, I'll, it's still a memory I'll never forget. And then, uh, so you're around a little bit of 05 and a little bit of 06, but I, I don't think you're on that postseason roster if I remember, but what do you remember about 06 and that team? And as you got through your career, were you like, man, if I could have just hung on, that would have been my world championship ring? Or how were you thinking about 06 as you were as running through your career there? 
Yeah, 06 was um, actually, I wasn't ready to be on a postseason roster. Um, you know, being in the dugout the whole time and watching, um, you know, Roland and Spezio, these heroes of, of that 06 World Series next time, watching them prepare, I actually learned more by being off of the roster than maybe being on the roster. Because if I was on the roster, I'd be panicking the whole time and not really taking it all in and watching how these guys prepared in, during each situation. So it actually was probably the most beneficial time of my career of watching the bench players get ready and watching the everyday players get ready during their postseason run. And it didn't. It also helped out that I saw you know, one of my best friends, Adam Wainwright, um, really come into his own. And being a part of that the whole time um, during that run really helped my development as well. So overall, um, the the experience for me, um, you know, was propelled my career and helped me going into that next spring training uh, more than any other experience I had. You uh, you just mentioned Adam Wainwright, so I think I'm going to ask you about him a little bit because I know you guys were pretty tight and uh, seemed like similar personalities, pretty uh, jovial, joking. Give me a little bit about uh, I don't know, you know, I don't want you to dish on what's going, you know, with him this year or last year, but God, when you get to 35 and then you start seeing that, uh, wow, that curveball doesn't break like it did to Beltran, or that cutter doesn't cut at 91 miles an hour. How how's he handling this internally? The way um, aging, I mean, basically age has won. It's never lost a, a match in its life. And I know, I'm assuming you still have, you have conversations with him. How's, how's he dealing with it? And then just tell me a little bit about uh, your guys' relationship through the years. Yeah, Adam's one of my best friends, one of the best competitors I've ever played with. Um, you know, he doesn't want to lose at anything. He's one of those guys that he doesn't want to lose at Mario Kart during the in, in your hotel room at night. Like, he gets really upset about that. So I think... Um, I know it bothers him that he's not, you know, where he was a few years ago. But having said that, he still leads the team in wins, um, and he's still competitive as ever. But the reality is your stuff just is not going to be the same, and you only have so many bullets when you are, you know, where he's at in his career. I mean, he has a ton of innings. He has a ton of postseason innings. um, And he's just, he doesn't have the same stuff that he did a few years ago. Does he tell me that it bothers him every single day? No, um, because in his mind, he wills himself into situations where he's been there before and he still believes that he can get anybody out on any given day. And that's that's what makes Adam who he is. He just he's special and he's one of the best Cardinals of all time because he just wills himself through tough situations. So, you know, guys like Adam and, and Yachty, I never bet against. Um, I don't care how old they get. Um, just because I know what's inside of them, and they've been through the, every situation you can imagine. Yeah, and I, I don't like people that say wins don't matter because wins do matter. I mean, they, that's that's all that matters is wins. So if he goes 20 and 10 with a 70 RA, I'm like, that's a good year. 20 wins is 20 wins you didn't have from someone else, right? I mean, that's what I think. Absolutely. And, and you know, they missed the playoffs by one or two games last year. So if he added a couple wins – to his win column, they'd be in the playoffs. So I, I don't, I don't get that whole wins don't matter either. I totally agree. Uh, probably two questions in one, but I, I just want to get your thoughts on uh, Tony. Uh, just the years he was your manager, pretty much the whole time you were here, obviously. And then uh, he's kind of the one, I guess. You tried to see if you would move to second base, and I, I just remember that spring when you were down there and you were just getting beat up left and right by 
Okendo, and uh, and you turned into a good second baseman. I mean, you did play down there, and you, you you made yourself a good second baseman. I think that was sort of Tony's feeling, like, hey, man, you we know you can do this. So just tell me a little bit about that move, but also just your relationship with Tony, because it felt like, uh, you know, you're one of his, you're like a, a Walt Weiss or one of his guys. It felt like. Yeah, you know, um, not too many managers would, uh, you know, have the balls to do what Tony did. I mean, let's be honest. See, we're, we're talking about a a World Series type of team, and you're going to move, uh, you know, a fourth outfielder uh, and try to make him your, your everyday second baseman when you have Adam Kennedy already on your roster. Um, the awkward part for me is I worked out with Adam Kennedy in the offseason when all this happened. So uh, I get a phone call um, about three weeks before spring training that Tony uh, says, hey, I think you can play second base. We're going to release Adam Kennedy, and we want you to try it. And I just full panic because I have, A, never played there before, never took a ground ball there before in my whole life. And um, Adam Kennedy, I'm going to see tomorrow uh, at UCI, and we're going to hit. So um, the cool thing was is Adam was totally cool about it. He actually helped me with footwork during the offseason, going into spring training, just to kind of give me it, you know, dummy it down a little bit. So he was totally cool about it. Um, but Tony gave me a long leash. That spring training was not easy. Um, I still remember today where you know I rode my bike to spring training every day, and I didn't want to go. I mean, I really did not want to go because I knew what was going to happen. At 6.30, I was going to take ground balls. I was going to miss more than half of them. I would go into the game, and I would make one or two errors, and then after that, I would have extra work after the game. I mean, I was, I was crushed, and... You know, you have Chris Carpenter, you have Adam Wainwright, you have some legit pitchers that expect every play to be made. And in the big leagues, they should be made. And you have me with, a, you know, hands like a deer playing second base. And um, it wasn't a fun feeling. And the worst thing, you, you know, as a player is to be embarrassed on the field. And I was embarrassed quite often in spring training and, you know, early part of that season. But, you know, Tony had confidence in me. Uh, it made us better if I could play second base because our offense was better with me there and our outfield the way it was. We could have all the bats in the lineup. And as soon as he could get me out of the lineup or out of second base, I should say, and, and in the outfield later in the game, he did it. You know, And um, he wasn't going to have me lose the game late for him, uh, which I didn't want and he didn't want. So um, it, it ended up working out great. But Tony was one of the most prepared guys I've ever you know, been around. He knew what the manager was going to do before the manager knew what he was going to do. And um, I'm just very fortunate that I had him to learn from. And I still take a lot of what he did and what he said uh, with me now that I'm with the Padres. Yeah, I think he's a genius because I think the other teams try and do this and it just doesn't work. And I always look at you and like Aaron Miles. You know, you guys had such big, big years there. And I know you want to take some credit for it. Obviously, you should. It was a lot of hard work. But, you know, Aaron Miles went to the Cubs. He didn't hit 300 again. And it, I just feel like Tony had this thing with you guys where he would let you know, you know, here's your role, and and he would make you be successful or put you in spots to be successful, even though you said, man, that second base thing, I, I should have, you know, I, I, it just made me miserable. But at the end, it, it worked. Does that sound right to you? No doubt. He put you in situations where he thought you could succeed, and the other part of it is the player had to buy in on it. You know, a lot of these guys just, they, they don't want to platoon. They don't want to buy in on certain things. They're a little more selfish for me nowadays of, 
of moving around. They want to be in one spot. They don't want to be uncomfortable. They're worried about their arbitration numbers, that type of thing. But Tony, for whatever reason, the guys just bought in on whatever Tony said. You know, we're in. We're all in. That was the culture he created. And winning also helped. So how can you argue with a lot of things that he's doing when we're in every year we're in the postseason? So, um, but you're right. You know, I never hit as good, you know, when I left, uh, when Tony left and Aaron Miles didn't hit as good. And you could go on and on about Descalzo, all these guys. Um, it's just Tony, Tony put you in and knew it, it went with the bullpen too. Just knew what it would take and put guys in the right situations at the right time. Couple more questions for you, Skip. Hopefully, you're having fun with this little conversation. Looks like you are. Your your arm looks like it is. <laughs> All right. Let me ask you about Matt Holiday. Another guy who I know you were pretty tight with, and this guy was hard to read for uh, someone like me. Although I did, I think I got him towards the end of his career. Here, I mean, he, he tried to throw balls at me in the outfield. He, he did everything he possibly could to scare me. But uh, I think he's he's probably been known now as he left as a big teddy bear with all the stuff he did in Cardinal Glennon. But um, I know a lot of people just remember him in 09, kind of having that huge run as he got here. And then we get to the NLDS, and that team is so good. And then, obviously, the ball hits him. And it, it, that 09 team should have been better, obviously. But uh, Matt Holiday was remembered for that for a while. And I think as he got further into his career, people loved him because he was just he was always the three hitter. He was a big dude, and he did help a team win a World Series. Tell me a little bit about '09, uh, kind of that that situation with him, and then just uh, Matt Holiday as a guy. Yeah, so Matt Holiday actually worked out with us also at UCI, um, and in '09 was down in, and had a in the off season he would get a house in Laguna Beach, and then he would train down at UCI in Irvine, down in Southern California, and. I got to have a relationship with Matt, you know, a pretty good relationship that off season. And then he gets traded huge trade, obviously in July for us and, um, ended up staying with us for a little bit. And, um, you know, I rode with him to the ballpark every single day. Matt is one of the better human beings around. Um, he is a gentle giant. Like you said, he, he just doesn't, he's not a huge fan of the media. (laughs) So, um, so he just kind of likes to go about his work, go about his business and and then call it a day and go see his family. He's a big family guy, so he didn't really want to get caught up in the media thing. Um, as you know, Brad, he would shower as quick as you as he could and get out of there. Sometimes not even shower. I think um, he was so fast. So he didn't want to he didn't want to talk about himself, good or bad. He just wanted to play the game and, and get out of there. And um, I'm glad all that stuff came out uh, from Cardinal Lennon and um, all the stuff that he does off the field because him and Leslie, his wife, do incredible things that don't that the public don't really know about and because he doesn't do it for the publicity. So uh, the guy's got a heart of gold. Um, he's a lifelong friend. And what he did really in his career uh, in St. Louis, the numbers, um, you know, a lot of times those six, seven-year contracts, as you know, don't work out. And there's no doubt that that contract worked out and actually he exceeded that $120 million contract or whatever it was. So um, he was a big part of that run in St. Louis. And uh, for me, he's a Hall of Famer in St. Louis. Oh, there's no doubt. And we, we definitely got along. I think he was – we. We, we had this uh, give and take where one day he'd say, Brad, you're not going to say hi to me? And I was like, Matt, you don't want me to say hi to you. It was just that kind of goofy thing. Um, Carp and Pujols, you played with them for, for the, all those years. And what I always say is, uh, 
I mean, in 06, they win the World Series. Uh, who, who was on that team? Carp and Pujols. 2011, who was on the team? Carp and Pujols. I know there's 23 other guys on that on that roster in the playoffs, but, man, Carp and Pujols, if, if uh, you don't have those two guys, I'm not sure you have uh, World Championships 10 and 11. Just tell me a little bit about those guys, especially Carp in 2011, uh, Albert all the time, uh, just watching them do their thing. Yeah, and Molina. I throw Molina right That's in there, That's a good too. point, man. Bad, bad Brad. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, you know, for me, Albert was, um, everything was, the offense was built around Albert. I remember Tony telling me when I was leading off, I wasn't allowed on a pass ball to go to second base because that means they would just walk Albert. I mean, what other hitter in the major leagues, um, you know, would, would you tell a base runner not to go to second base because the hitter up the plate, we want him to hit and not just, you know, have a RBI situation. That's how dangerous Albert was. And um, fascinating to watch him work. He wasn't uh, the guy that would just was, you know, God-given ability, which, I mean, he did have that, don't get me wrong, but the guy, he worked. He worked because he wanted to be a gold glove first baseman. He worked because he wanted to be not just the best hitter in this, you know, during that year. He wanted to be the best hitter ever. And that's a lot of pressure and uh, something that, you know, I'll never understand. Um because he was that special. But you have, for me, you have two leaders in the clubhouse. You have to have an offensive leader and a, and a pitching staff leader. And no doubt was Albert our offensive leader. He would command the, the room when we talked about pitchers and our approach that night. We, he led by example by what he did in the cages and on the field. And somebody that I looked up to off the field and all the stuff he did. So an incredible leader. Um, that I, you know, I was really lucky to watch and, and to learn from. And then you have Chris Carpenter, who not only, I think, changed the culture, the whole culture in the St. Louis organization when he came over from the trade. And I say that because all of a sudden you have this intensity that we, just the Cardinals didn't have before on the pitching staff. The, all, uh, and it trickled down through the offense as well. Um, you know, I looked at Carp. I, you know, I played with Carp for six or seven years. And I was scared of him walking into the clubhouse. Um, so I knew that game day that we had a chance to win. And it was Carpenter's Day. And we were going to war. And I wanted to go war with him. I was I wanted to play that day because I knew that something special was going to happen every day. Um, he was the guy that took all the pitchers and made them go watch the bullpens. He was the guy that took Wainwright and made him follow him around the entire spring training this is how we work out. This is how we throw a bullpen. This is how you're going to become an ace pitcher. He did so many things um, for the hitters to tell us, you know, what he's thinking while we were hitting um, and vice versa. So I knew that if Carpenter had that Sunday game, if we had a three day weekend and he got uh, against a team and he got to watch, uh, for instance, the Phillies Friday night and Saturday night, and he was pitching that Sunday day game that it was over because he would, he could prepare he knew the hitters like the back of his head. Um, and, you know, the, the 2011 run, now he had a great 2006 run, but the 2011 run where he pitched 270-plus innings and really couldn't throw after that uh, was the most dominant postseason that I, I can remember. Um, that game five against the Phillies where, you know, he threw the best game. I think two guys got to second base the whole game. Um, it was the best game I've ever seen pitched. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that, uh, that we're still friends to this day. And 
He softened up just a little bit nowadays, um, but he's uh, but that intensity just trickled down through the entire clubhouse. Yeah, and that's I don't know if you want to talk about the Cardinals now because you you are with the Padres, and I don't know how much you see of them now. But that's when everyone says, well, maybe they'll make that 2011 run. I just say, well, I don't see a Pujols on this team, and I don't see a dominant Carp. I mean, Wainwright's there, but now he's on the DL, and they don't have like an Albert type. I mean, I felt like, and, and you had a Lance Berkman and a Matt Holiday. I mean, I just don't see that. I don't know if you watch enough of this team right now, but it's, it seems like what you're saying is you need that, right? And maybe that, maybe I'm right in my assessment of if you don't have that, it's not going to work. No, you're right, because I'm a big believer in clubhouse chemistry. Um, and you can't really put a number on that, a figure on that, you know, you, all the sabermetric stuff, um, you know, is great, but chemistry is real. And when you have Albert and Chris and, and Berkman, like you said, even Carlos Beltran, you have these, these, um, huge names that are good people that don't let anything, um, get by them in the clubhouse. And there's a little bit of stuff that's happening in that clubhouse, obviously this year, there's, you know, it's obviously been in the press and the media um that's not good and, and you're right you don't have you know who's the leader on that staff without wainwright you know when he's on the bench it's i don't know i am not there so i don't know i know yachty's there um people look up to him still but there's you know we had we had a few more guys other than yachty so um it that's it, a tough one you know i still root for the cardinals i still you know but it's just it looks like a um, just a little bit of a different team than that 2011 run, but you never know. It's just if they get into the playoffs, it's uh, it, they're they're dangerous. So we'll see what happens. Okay, winding down, Skip. Appreciate your time. Hopefully you're not at a red light and people aren't behind you. I can't tell. Uh, but uh, 2011, that run, you guys were 63 and 67 when the run started, and you go all the way to the World Series. You gave me my favorite soundbite of all time of any player. Uh, I asked you about game six and you just said, listen, I was, I felt like I was going to throw up every time I drove into the ballpark during that world series. So I I just kind of want to get your thoughts on when a team gets momentum. I mean, like I said, the team was 63 and 67, but you did have carpool holes, Yachty, Berkman, you go on this run, you win every night and it just goes into the playoffs. And then you did, like I said, you said, I felt sick. I think that's the greatest quote I've ever heard because that was so honest uh, that's why I enjoyed talking to you all those years. But just tell me a little bit about the run, and then just feeling sick to your stomach going in the ballpark. Yeah, that run was was pretty incredible. But I think if you look at that lineup, you look at the rotation, you look at the trade we made with Dotel and Zepchenski, solidified that back end. Um, that team was built to make a run like that. That lineup was sick. Uh, you have for call. You have Berkman. You have. Yachty, you have uh, Albert in his prime. I mean, David Freeze was coming into his own. That lineup, top to bottom, was tough to, to get through, to navigate through. And then you throw in Carpenter and these other guys. It's that that was just a, a really tough team. And I think with our the division where where they were at the time, I think we could make that run. I'm not so sure that could happen now. Um, but the leading up to the the final game in Houston. Um, during the regular season, we had a win. It was a must-win. Carpenter obviously dominates, and we're sitting back and watching and couldn't believe what is happening in that Phillies and Braves game. We just, there was no way the, the Braves were going to not win that game. Freddie Freeman, I think, was the last guy up. Guys on base, there's just no way that they're going to lose. And sure enough, 
the Phillies let us in, um, and the Braves let us in, both let us in, and we could not believe it. We knew we were ready to roll, and but you know, you look up, you got, you have to face Doc Holliday, Cliff Lee, Roy Oswalt. I mean, the name Cole Hamels, and you're like, oh my gosh, those are the four guys we got to beat in Philly. So there was a little bit of that. All right, we got in. You know, we're ready to roll. The hottest team. Oh boy, look at this team that we got to we got to face, and. And so thinking back on it, I think we were just, we were just so hot, so ready on a roll. It didn't matter who was going to, who was going to, you know, be in front of us. We couldn't wait to face the Brewers. And I think because of all the stuff with Niger Morgan and, um, you know, everything that, you know, he said that we were going to be sitting on the couch watching the playoffs. So we wanted to get through that Philly series just to face them. And we did. Um, and we boat raced them. That wasn't even a series. We felt like we had that first game on. Um, I, we didn't. We really didn't have too much respect for them the way that they talked. And so that was a, that was a fun series just to celebrate in Milwaukee. But then we faced the the Rangers, and their lineup was as deep as anybody's. Um, but again, we felt like with the designated hitter, now we have Lance Berkman or Albert. In, in the DH spot and we can match up with anybody. So we felt really good about that situation and going into it, uh, game six, I remember Tony saying I was on the bench or he taken out of the game. Um, you know, it's not looking good for us. And he's saying, Hey, make sure you get outside the dugout to make sure you say, you know, thank you to the fans. I mean, that's where we were at the time. Um, you know, looking at Natalie Feliz and dominated the whole year. There's no way we're getting two runs off him. And then, you know, sure enough, it, it happened. So nobody really thought that we were going to make that comeback except maybe David Freeze. So game seven comes up. Nick Punto and I would carpool every single day um, to the field. And for the first time in our, uh, you know, Nick, you know, Nick, big personality, hilarious, the shredders, his nickname, always fun to hang out with. We didn't say a word in that 25 minute drive going to the field. Because all these thoughts, you know, were creeping in your head, you know, winning was obviously the number one thing, but then you start thinking about all these, or at least for me, the negative things of, oh man, I could, I could build Buckner this thing. I could, you know, be a history on, you know, on the, on the foot, not the good side, history on the bad side of, you know, being on ESPN the rest of my life, like, you know, make a mistake in center field because I was starting in center field that night. So a lot of negative thoughts were going and creeping into your mind. But then as soon as you get into the dugout or into the clubhouse about 2.30 or 3 o'clock, everybody was loose. I mean, it was crazy how loose the clubhouse was for a game seven. And, you know, I'll never forget, you know, the music and people laughing and just we couldn't we just feeding off that game six um, still that game where, you know, it should have been. I don't know how it got rained out or whatever it happened. I think the game before that to line up Chris Carpenter um, going game seven. We loved our chances, and um, and so that feeling of throwing up um, as soon as I woke up to get to the field was gone because of the um, the looseness of the clubhouse, and and ended up being the you know one of the greatest times of my life. I, I love that story, and I've had a lot of players say that, which is so amazing to me. They, but they mentioned Buckner by name, and the, the one that's the best story ever is Chris Duncan, who said, that's all we could think about. Me and Shelly were sitting there before Game 5, because they won Game 5 in 06, so it's after Game 4, 
guys are up three games to one, and he's watched. They actually turned on game six highlights, or they were showing blunders, and Shelly and Chris both looked at each other, and Chris goes, turn that off! And the next play, sixth inning, ball goes off his hand and into the stands, and he's out of the game. But it's just crazy that you guys think like that. But, uh, yeah, I just I just don't think we'll ever see a run like it, and I, I just think that for I'm a fan, and I know fans out there just just can't thank you enough for the run, Skip. You were you were such a fun guy to watch. How's it going well, with with the pod? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have something to add there? No, go ahead. Go I was ahead. just going to say. So the Padres, you uh, you're having fun. Kind of tell us a little bit about what you're doing with uh, with the Padres. And uh, boy, that lineup. I don't recognize anybody besides Will Myers and Salarte. But sometimes that's a good thing when you're rebuilding. That means uh, the, the rebuild is on. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I was lucky enough to, to build a relationship with A.J. Preller and Andy Green during this, the short time I was with the Padres, and they asked if I wanted to be a part of it uh, moving forward, and and I did. You know, I was I was pretty excited. It's near my house, and it was a good way to stay in the game but still see my family, so it was a perfect marriage for me. But the Padres are in a, um, in a spot where we're building from within, and we spent about $80 million in the amateur and international draft, uh, last year and the last couple of years, I should say. And the, the prospects, Brad, that we have are, are insane. Um, but they're 18, 17 years old. So it's going to take some time, but when, when they do hit in two to three years, um, you know, we're hoping it's going to be, you know, similar to the Cubs or the Astros or, you know, really the Cardinals who have had this run of, of bringing guys up, you know, within the system and not how to buy, not have to buy that hundred million dollar free agent. Um, cause I don't, you know, really, we just, we, it's not a really good formula of just buying, you know, a hundred million dollar free agents every year. So, um, we have this Fernando Tatis actually, um, junior that, uh, his dad played for the Cardinals for years is for me, our number one prospect. The guy's a 18 year old double a already in double a, um, he's 20, 20, uh, this year, uh, 20 bags, 20 homers at 18 years old. I mean, the guy's playing shortstop, like. Derek Jeter, so he's he's going to be the real deal. It's just up to him if he wants to continue it or you know wants to is good from where we're, with where he's at. So he should be a ten time All Star. But we got we got a ton of just crazy insane talent. Um, we're just young, so we're going to have some bumps in the road. But you know I'm excited about the future. Yeah, I grew up enjoying the Padres, uh, so I look forward. I always I don't know why I like those brown jerseys. I like Tony Gwynn. And I'm glad you and McGuire are there, two of my favorites. Uh, thanks for your time. Did you, did you have fun? I'm sorry, I went a little longer than expected, but you're a good talker. You should be on TV. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I appreciate it. It's always fun talking to you. It's not a, This doesn't feel like a, a normal interview. It's just talking with a buddy, so I, I enjoyed Oh, oh that's a nice. Well, clip that off. Someone clip that off. All right. <laughs> Skip, we will uh, we'll catch up with you again somewhere down the road, and we'll, we'll get through some more fun uh, your time in St. Louis. But once again, good luck to you in San Diego. And that's going to do it for Baseball and Beyond. We'll catch you next time. Cool. Thanks, Brad. See you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, a lot.